Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 91. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. Welcome to the show, you guys. I am so excited to be here this week, and thank you for tuning in. This week, I'm doing a solo cast that is all about finding your joy and finding your purpose, and it ties into the the topic for the month of June, which is purpose. And if you've been tuning in this month, you know there's been some great guests. We've had Michelle Ward and Laura Sims, and then Paul Selig last week on episode 90. First, I want to give each of you a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for joining this week and always. If you are curious about the show and you want to find out more, you can go over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And for this specific episode, you can find show notes, which will reference some of the quotes and books and authors that I will be referencing at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 91. If you are a continuing listener, thank you so much for coming back. I hope that you will jump over to iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Player FM, or TuneIn. And if you are not already a subscriber, head over there, search for Jumpstart Your Joy, and hit the subscribe button. Then you will get each episode downloaded to your mobile device, ready for you bright and shiny each Tuesday morning. And you can listen to it as you drive into work or get on to public transportation. Um, And I thank you in advance for being a subscriber. This week's episode is brought to you by my very own Jumpstart Your Podcast Bootcamp. Starting next week, I am kicking off the eight-week bootcamp, which will take you from the idea of a podcast into being able to launch your show. I am so excited to be teaching this class again. Last year, 86% of the people who took this class went on to launch a show, and it's amazing and so much fun to get to see what each person does and how they find their voice. If you want to join, you can head to the site for this, which is jumpstartyourpodcast.com, and you can find out more information there. Or you can email me at paula at jumpstartyourjoy.com, and I'd be happy to chat with you about starting your show. So this week, you guys, I am so excited to be talking about finding your joy and finding your purpose. It was a lot of fun writing this one out. Um, And so this will kind of be a two-part show where we will first talk a little bit about how it is that we seem to kind of stray from our purpose at some point in our life and how it is so hard to come back to it. And so what happens there? And I have some ideas to share with you guys that I've been fleshing out this week. And then I get into five ways that you can start to return to your purpose or your joy. I kind of use those words interchangeably. Uh, It's hard for me not to see purpose as being joyful, but I think other people's purpose is different than joy because if you feel your purpose is, say, to become a doctor, then hopefully that is a joyful event for you, but you might use a different word besides joy in there. But we'll look at five ways that you can reacquaint yourself with your purpose 
and uh, return to it. And I will say that in this last week, I've been so inspired by Paul Selig, who was on last week. And then on Friday, I got to see Danielle Laporte in San Francisco. She spoke at Grace Cathedral, which was just this amazing mixture of an amazing night. And so there is that inspiration interwoven here as well. So let's kick this off. I think in finding your joy, it is important to surround yourself with what calls to you. So for a while for me, this was definitely the work of Wayne Dyer. I even went to go see him on Maui once, which was so interesting and amazing to be in the same space with him and met Ram Das at the same weekend. It was a really great event. Uh, at that time in my life, Wayne Dyer's words just made a lot of sense to me. And I think it was even him that said, like, surround yourself with those things that seem to call you and make sense. And so his writing was that, you know, I went from watching him on PBS one night and then going, oh, my gosh, I, this guy's fascinating. And before that, I had totally devoured old sacred texts and biblical Hebrew I loved getting into the New Testament and doing what they call exegesis, where you look at a passage and you see how it has ties in other passages. And I think a lot of this for me was trying to figure out the why and what the purpose is, maybe in a larger sense, but I really enjoyed getting involved with those texts and seeing how you know, past groups and civilizations had defined their world. That was what was so fascinating to me in the stories that are in the Bible. I'll say that these things were my own foundations, and I can only describe them as the way that my soul or my center was making sense of patterns in the universe. I wasn't learning the stuff that I got from Wayne Dyer or Biblical Hebrew anywhere else. You know, I kind of had to go find those things on my own. And so I sought out teachers and teachings that felt right for me. And I think this is key on that track back to purpose is what seems right, what feels right, even if it seems kind of disparate, there's probably a through line in there that's going to make a lot of sense just to you, right? You're, you're the curator of this. You know your own purpose or your soul or your, your spark or your inner workings know what your purpose is. And so this through line will be really apparent. And sometimes it's not even really apparent until you look at it in hindsight. And so I found it to be an interesting dance when I was looking for purpose because while I was truly doing a lot of academic learning and I'll say I tend to be one of those people that goes to my head first and then it kind of connects in with my heart I was allowing myself while reading about Wayne Dyer or the Old Testament or biblical Hebrew I was allowing myself to be immersed in the headiness of those academics but the teachings inside of each of those things kind of slowly started to change my heart and my understanding of my own why and my own purpose I was drawn to what some may consider like weird stuff, you know, like the Old Testament, the texts of Babylon, and the stories from early humanity, like before there was the Old Testament, the tribes that were out in the world. And I was really academically in my happy place when I sat in the beautiful libraries of Yale, where I got my master's degree, and at UC Santa Barbara. I would pinch myself every day just to be in the space, especially the day missions reading room at Yale, which is amazing and beautiful if you ever get the chance to visit Yale Divinity School. It's breathtaking. I mean, it just feels 
It just feels like a place so soaked in knowledge. I loved running my hands over the banisters and the bookshelves that had been touched by hundreds of years of students. And I was totally in love with the place and I was hungry for everything I could learn there. In allowing myself to run to something that I simply could not resist, and by that I mean the academic study that I was involved there, I found something that totally fulfilled me and I was setting the foundations for what would come next both from a head place, so that really heady academic space, and from what I call a heart place too. I think that's really important is to acknowledge if you are also that way. So many people are, they want to immerse themselves in something and get to know it inside and out. And it's a headspace first and then connecting it into what does it mean to me? How do I make this mine? How do I bring these pieces that I love into my life? And so I want to talk, this is kind of then we'll segue here into that first place or the first part of this that we're going to break down today is talking about joy and the heart place. Because I think it's really hard for women to get into that heart place sometimes. Lots of times there's a lot of the good girl kind of expectations that come into play We get super aligned with other people's dreams or other people's shoulds or just shoulds in general where we think my life should be this way or I should do this thing because it's what's expected of me. And it's so easy to get wrapped up around each of those that I think sometimes it's really hard to actually get deeper and into what our own purpose is because families and friends and society at large and Maybe the university you went to had some really distinct ideas how you should be. But then to get past that and and back to a natural state where you can be in touch with your heart place, I think is a very different prospect. So let's go back in time a little bit. When you or I were a little bitty kid and or an infant even. And I think in those days and those times, joy and goodness and really purpose were all very much a natural state for us because joy and purpose were all intimately wrapped into the things that we chose each day. You know, we would choose to do simple things. We would laugh and we would smile and we would sing. And this is part of why when I I start my interview with each guest, I really like to ask them that question of what were your earliest sparks of joy? And it's been super interesting to for me to hear how so many people say things that are those natural state kinds of things. So guests often reference something that is fairly creative, writing or playing or singing, acting, crafting, walking in nature, being with friends, making things up, playing make-believe. These are some of those ones that keep coming up. And I think for really good reason, because they are a space where joy is easy. There's not a lot of expectations there. It's something that you've internally decided to do and that you're going for because you love to do it. And so the realization hit me as I was writing this out and getting prepared for this show that I think something shifts, primarily shifts for us as we move from that kind of natural early state of our life into something a little bit later. I would say that it usually happens around the school years But I don't necessarily think that it is always because of school. I think it's because we get placed into a more structured environment with a lot more other people. If you think about school, they've got to be able to teach a lot of kids in one classroom. And so there's structure that comes into place. And structure's good, right? I mean, our society depends on it. We depend on 
you know, the social rules and the structure that we have for things to happen every day. But I think it also, because we are so wired for joy and peace and love as young people, it's confusing in some ways to be then thrown into a more structured environment. So we think of a little girl, she's wired to be joyful and have, you know, have happiness in her life and she wants to keep the peace. So the shift I'm realizing is from that internal and often self-driven activities that bring us joy, like open-ended play, creativity, doodling, playing make-believe, to now we're in a more structured and externally motivated activity and environment with things like curriculum to learn and rules in a classroom and physical activity that takes place in a certain way at a certain time. And having a structured recess. Um, and this happens all while our drive and capacity as a young human remains the same. We still want to find joy and happiness and we want to maintain the peace. And so while there wasn't a ton of effort required to find joy as a small ch- child, and in fact for many of us, Our entire being was totally supported in finding this kind of delight and contentment because we were praised just even sometimes for smiling or laughing or being happy because we were delighting others. So our really natural joyous state, just by being that thing as like a baby or a small child, we inspire others and they, you know, praise us for being that kind of a joyful, lit up little being. And so this shift from the internally motivated joy and purpose to then being in a world where much of what we are being asked to do is external motivation can be really confusing for a young person. And I think particularly hard for a young woman or a a girl who really does want to keep the peace and really does want to find joy. And the hard part there is that then oftentimes the joy that they desire or the praise that they desire or we desire from our parents is now no longer based in something that is just our natural state, right? Like we used to be able to laugh and play and, you know, write out simple things and do a doodle of a dog. And that brought our parents joy and we got praise for it. But in this new structure, now there are very specific tasks and externally motivated things that are put ahead of us, when we do them well, we are praised. It makes sense that many of us see that the praise and the excitement and the happiness for our parents and other people start to become possible when we are achieving certain goals. And so I think it drives many of us to become people pleasers or high achievers or really buy into meeting and rising to the occasion of these external motivators. The other thing that strikes me here is that in one of these kind of structured environments, the nature of what good is also changes drastically. Like the definition of what makes a good child versus a a child that needs to, you know, have more attention to things is, you know, a good girl or a good boy are those who don't ask too many questions and those who don't goof off or dance or sing or daydream in class or doodle or talk to others at the wrong time or color outside of the lines. Because the the children that do those things are oftentimes labeled as too much something, right? They are too chatty or too busy or too loud. And 
definitely makes us kind of bring in those edges of ourselves and play to the center that is simpler and that is what maybe less of ourselves because we want to fit in and we want to keep the peace and we want everyone to be happy and so I think a lot of times we find ourselves in this space where we're kind of bringing in those things that make us us and I think it starts to shift our our own sense of who we are because if we are too much when we are those things that come naturally to us then we get into this space of kind of judging ourselves right the the judgmental voices come up if I'm too much of this then what does that mean about myself even if it's something that I really loved as a little bitty kid and I'm doing it now and somebody tells me it's too loud or too weird or too unusual it doesn't fit into the social norms well then I start to downplay that side of myself and so for a lot of young people that don't have a lot of coping mechanisms or like self-realization or self-confidence, it's easy to see how a desire to continue to focus on one's joy, contentment, and peace means shifting to conforming to what is now labeled as good. And it's turned, like I said, a lot of us into people pleasers and high achievers and people who are really looking at whatever that external motivator, that structure is as, as the thing that values us instead of the internal natural state of ourselves being the thing that we value about ourselves. Of course, the paradox or the catch here is that what truly makes you happy, whatever that thing that is your purpose, whatever that is, is something that only you, truly you, can define. And it's that internal compass, that sense of what brings you joy, that points you to your purpose. It's not an external expectation or the shoulds or somebody else's dreams. Those might hold a bit of contentment for a period of time, but following an externally defined dream won't resonate the way that true purpose does. And so it may sustain you for a little while, but if you're just chasing shoulds and chasing somebody else's dream for yourself, that's when you start to realize, wait, this isn't what I really want here. I want to shift and be able to find my own purpose. And this is really what I think the guides were referencing when Paul Selig channeled them last week when I asked what role joy plays in our lives. And here's what they said, and I'm going to quote this. It's back about at the 16-minute mark in episode 90. Joy is a ramification of being, but in order to be, you have to know who and what you are. Otherwise, you are caught between different ideas of what is needed, what is true, what should or should not be. The true self, who always knows who he or she is, is always present. And as he or she is what she is, which is the divine form, joy is a state of expression. It is not something to be aspired to. If it is to be aspired to, it will remain elusive. You'll be chasing that bird for many, many years. But your own being is in grace, in its awareness of union with its source. Joy is a constant state of consciousness. Now, what you ascribe as joy, in most cases, is actually happiness. And happiness is not the same as joy. Joy is ecstasy. It is an ecstatic expression of an awareness of all things in light. Happiness, in most cases, is about comfort, and that is not our teaching. I love that they talk about being stuck in between those two different ideas of what is needed. What is true, meaning what is your purpose, or what should or should not be, meaning those other external expectations that society or the world puts on us. And that they are really identifying here that in order to be joyful, you have to know who and what you are. 
So let's shift now into the second part of this episode where we're going to talk about those five ways that you can return to your purpose and to your joy. Because I feel like that really sets the scene for why it's so important to get reconnected with purpose. We've had a general sense of what our purpose looks like back when we were in our natural state as children or younger people. And we knew it and we were very likely close to it or something that felt near to it as, as, those, as that child state. Uh, and maybe sometimes now in your higher self, you also still understand what it is and what your purpose is. Maybe now you're feeling like it's not as close though. Like through the process of the years going by, it feels harder to see what your purpose is. And so here are some things and patterns that I have seen. So number one, a general idea of what purpose feels like or is shows up in nagging and sometimes vague ways. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I know for myself that as I was looking for purpose, And as I was starting to wake up to this larger ideal, I would have a word that I might keep hearing or thinking in my mind. You might have a dream that you just keep having. Mine was about returning to school, strangely enough. (laughs) Um, Or a theme that keeps repeating in your life. You know, is there something that keeps showing up? It could be a butterfly, it could be a number, it could be something else, but I bet there's something in your world that just keeps repeating at you. I like to think of these things as nudges. My biggest nudge when I was looking to start the show and figuring out a topic to start my podcast was the amount of times that the word joy kept popping up. It was just all over the place for me. And I can't say if that was because I just happened to notice it or if it just kept, you know, was the universe offering it up to me as something to notice. I eventually bought a keychain with the one word joy on it and I noticed that I felt this sense of peace and resonance with it and it kind of then led me to figure out what the podcast name would be. Another way that I see that people reconnect with their purpose is that you're already doing something you love doing and it makes you happy. But in some way, you see it as a side gig or something that needs to stay as, as something you do on the side. This thing, whatever the side gig is, might be something that you were, it might be close to something that you did as a kid and you loved. But maybe in your own brain, you've pushed it aside because it doesn't conform with whatever your preconceived notion of what a life should look like. Maybe this thing is not comfortable or easy. Or maybe it's just not easy to figure out, so you let it sit off to the side and you kind of dabble in it. I did this for 11 years when I was leading retreats. I loved leading retreats so much. And I can see now that I was quietly honing my skills, that I was learning and getting ready. And I now see that I was also getting really hungry to make this thing, this love of like creating, you know, new things to talk about and doing the research of creating new um, talks and kind of the creative side of creating um, events that then people could get pulled into. I loved creating um, introduction events where, you know, there'd be an icebreaker. There's something about icebreakers that I just love of how do you kind of make a space comfortable for people to get to know each other and open up. And so I realized that as I was doing that kind of quietly you know 
three and four and five times a year over the 11 years that I did it, that I was getting really hungry to make it, to make, I wanted this thing to become front and center. Like it didn't, for a while it was okay pushing this thing to the side and saying, oh, this is just a side hobby. But it was speaking louder and louder to me each year. Um, and I got to the point where I could no longer push it aside. And I had to figure out what the thing was because I couldn't even really put my mind around it. I think some of it now is coaching and podcasting and getting to teach people and work with them. But I really needed to work with a coach, frankly, on my own to figure out what it was. And so I, I wonder if you are already doing something you love doing and maybe get really honest with yourself. Are you pushing it aside because you're a little bit afraid of what it means? Um, to really live into that thing? And if so, how could you bring it more central to your to your life? Number three, accepting the and in your life. This ties in exactly with what I was just talking about. I think that multi-passionates uh, will cheer about this one. So if you have listened to the episodes with Emily Wapnick, I think that's uh, episode 34 and uh, again earlier, but you can, I'll have them linked up in the show notes jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 91. But as time goes on, especially if you're multi-passionate, if you are not familiar with that term or you're you're new to that term, it's that you have a lot of interests and you have a really hard time narrowing it down to just the one thing that you will do with your life. And so multi-passionates often do more than one thing. And it's hard because, you know, the specialist um, mentality of the world kind of says, well, you need to narrow it down. You need to do one thing. But I think you realize in time that it's possible to marry your purpose and passion with maybe the practical thing or skill set that you picked up in school. You learn to give your passion more room and it gets integrated into your life. I love what Emily Wapnick had to say about how to integrate your multi-pod interests um, in, the, in the episode just a couple of months ago. And I adore what Zoha Abbas has to say about taking action on your multiple creative interests. And she's coming up next week. So really tune in if you are kind of noodling over what does this mean to be a multi-passionate and how do I take action or how do I decide to take action on that thing that I love because that can be so scary to decide that's the thing and I want to marry it with that thing and yeah the action then becomes sometimes of a stum- becomes sometimes a stumbling block for people the fourth thing is that you you cannot ignore you and your desires the truth and dreams any longer I wonder if you've hit this point because I know that I did for sure. And I had the pleasure of seeing Danielle Laporte in San Francisco at Grace Cathedral, like I mentioned last Friday. She's she's out on a tour talking about her latest book, White Hot Truth, and the journey that she's taken to finding what is true for her. And I love what she says in her book about joy. This is from page six. Uh, I, I'll read it for you guys. Uh, You can't seek approval on your way to sovereignty. Freedom is not something you need to earn. Joy does not come from a checklist. I've had to fight for my joy. I've also loved and laughed and created my way to it. But it's fair to say that crushing the obstacles, torching the illusions, fielding the attacks, going down with the grief, it's been some strenuous work. I think of the places that I made myself go to become intimate with the dualities of love and expediency, light and darkness, confusion and clarity. I got through those portals the scrappy human way, the way mortals discover their connection to the cosmos, laughing really hard on the phone with girlfriends, and weeping alone on the kitchen floor. I did it with 
a home birth, divorce, building a career word by word, leaving it all on the stage, begging psychics for answers and pressing gurus for practicalities, praying daily for the light, to the light, with the light. At this point in my life, I am the joy that I fought for. Now that I'm here, very directly facing my soul, I wonder if if all that hard self-help work was really just a messed up way to go about finding illumination. Could I have just accepted myself much sooner and saved a lot of money on therapy? Maybe, but probably not. Truth is a journey. You have to love yourself into fullness. And as I heard her talking about this, I really thought about that that thing inside of me that just refused to give up, right? And and I think that comes out in different ways for so many different people that after a while, after say 11 years of leading retreats, I could not any longer just ignore that that's something that was such a strong part of me. And so while it's scary and hard to go through then the steps it takes to become you and follow your purpose, I love what she said at this point in my life. I am the joy that I fought for. So I I think there's something really interesting in there. The last thing is about permission and allowing yourself to do the thing that lights you up. And here's, you know, one of my always favorite quotes, but that you get to choose. Do you stay stuck wishing you could follow whatever it is that you love? Or do you decide you want it and you want to go for it? And that's why I love the quote, you know, joy is a choice and we must keep choosing it every day. I I think that applies to purpose as well, if you're using those words separately, that you get to choose, you know, you get to choose how do you react to things. You get to choose if you're in a crappy career now, right now that you can't stand, you get to choose, you get to choose how you show up to that. You get to choose. Maybe you want to go try something else. I know that there's practicalities in life that make some of the the big steps harder um, because realities are there. But I, how you show up at least, you can choose how you face things each day. In working with a lot of women, I've seen this to be powerfully powerfully true, that once you've got your mind's, mind and heart and soul set on a course to go after that thing, whatever that purpose is, once you've narrowed it down, or maybe it's just a vagaries. Maybe it's just something about that word that we're talking about in step one. That you get this word or this idea or this quote that keeps haunting you. Well, go explore it. And and once I've seen people making the decision to go explore it and spend time with that thing and that purpose, it's an amazing transformation, right? Because you are a powerful force and you are a powerful force to be reckoned with. As a mentor of mine said to me, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. Once you are locked in and ready to even make that first baby step, the excuses drop away and you become clear. Even if it's just that I'm going towards joy, it's a direction, right? You can start to head in that direction and maybe your word is something totally different or maybe your dream is so something totally different. But once you've started the lock step and you stop, you've started the baby steps, you'll see that the excuses start to drop away because you are on your path towards your own, towards your own purpose. You've refocused on purpose and I know you will start to see a shift happen. So that that is those are my thoughts on how to reconnect with your purpose. Uh, we can go over them again. It's uh, 
you know, that maybe you have a general idea of what purpose feels like or that it's showing up in a nagging or vague way for you, but it's a repetition thing. And so maybe lock into that and see if you can get curious about where it leads you. Maybe you're already doing something that you love on the side and you want to bring it full and front and center for yourself. Are you, have you been pushing that thing aside that you love, saying to yourself, well, there's no way this could be a full-time thing? Have you accepted the and, number three, have you accepted the and in your life? You know, could you be a project manager and a podcaster and a coach and a consultant? Because I am. <laughs> and for what is that thing that you can, you can just no longer deny about yourself? You know, has it come back nagging at you again and again? And what are you willing and ready to say yes to? And then number five, giving yourself permission. It's time. You probably have an inkling of what you know that purpose to be. And so it's time to go get it. And I, I just, I know you will find your way. So thank you so much for joining me this week. Um, as always, it is a total pleasure to have you here. I would love it if you would come back for episode 92, which is with Zoha Abbas. She is at the website Multi-Doer. She's a multi-passionate and she helps creative people work on a plan of action to bring all of those multi-passionate ideas they have to life. And we just had one of those really awesome and great discussions, even while I was being attacked by my puppy. If you want a little bit, if you want to learn more about finding your joy and purpose, you want to get a link over to Daddy Yellowport's book or a link back over to the Paul Selig quotes, head to the website jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 91 and you'll get links. You will also find a very fun free e-course to walking you through ways to find more joy in your life. Um, and that's always a favorite. Uh, lots, of, lots of people sign up for that one and it is a lot of fun. It has a playlist and some fun things for you to do as well. And so I hope you'll come on back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.